Yeah, no. So, I, 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 they haven't released what it is, but I'm, I'm very excited to find out what's going to go on with that. Although Skull and Bones is coming out, and so hopefully Skull and Bones will do what they couldn't and give us our own servers to lobby up with people. Well, that would be smart of them to fill the need that Rare isn't interested in filling, I guess. Like, I, I get online, it's cool, but also I'd like to just not deal with other people once in a while. Yeah, I'd like to complete the content that they create. Yeah, no, I mean, what I'm mostly interested in is PvPing, but with friends instead of toxic assholes online, which is exactly what happened with Sea of Thieves. Oh, yeah. It got filled up. I mean, the up. last time we, we tried to play is we just got all the stuff, like, we couldn't complete anything. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there, time. yeah, there's just no point. To continuing mm-hmm. to play because we couldn't finish anything because everyone else trolled us to stop us from completing anything. Mm-hmm. So it's a total waste of our time. So then content flies by you and then you're just sort of screwed. Whatever, man. Just well, like all interest in like actually playing the game basically disappears. Yeah, you completely lose the essence of what makes the game fun. And I think that rare is not getting that uh at all which is unfortunate no yeah i think they're like all in on their concept yeah i think they should take a page out of blizzard's book not the one with all the sexual assault and the hr problem but i remember blizzard changed the way they did pvp a few years back uh i'm not 100 percent on it because the only expansion that I played that had it was um, Shadow, the Shadow one, the Shadow Worlds. I don't remember the hell what it was called. They basically made PvP completely and solely based on um, how the user interacted. Uh, so you had to turn PvP on. They no longer had like PvP dedicated servers or something. I don't remember exactly how it felt, but that—that's how it was for me. Like you could go to, you could still I mean, go to a server that was good. impossible to turn PvP on, but they also had servers where you could turn PvP on if you wanted. Why can't they do that? I mean, they definitely could. It's clearly not impossible. Yeah, it's not impossible. They could also. You know, I've been listening to lately. I've been listening to the Lonely Island. Uh yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. What were you, uh, specifically, what were you listening to? Let's see, uh, the first album, Incredible Bad. Uh, that obviously had the boat one on it. Yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a boat. I'm on a um, boat. Dick in a box. Dick in a box, uh, nice. The, oh, fuck. Yeah, Jack Sparrow. Mm. That one's great. With Michael Bolton. With Michael Bolton. That was a great one. Yeah. Truly exceptional. You can look that one up. Incredibad. Ah, on vinyl. Nice. Yeah. Who said we're whack? Jizz in my pants. Jizz in my pants is a good one. Sax man. Normal guy. Boombox. Boombox is an amazing song. Like a boss. Dream girl. Have you watched the video for uh, Like a Boss? Yeah, the one with Seth Rogen. Yeah. Yes. I have it's definitely. fantastic. Punch you in the jeans. Oh, Natalie's rap. That's a good one. I can't quite figure out Natalie Portman. I know, right? She's like up and down across her entire career. Like, is she cool or not? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, there was the whole... Like, recently, I think she's been more activist than actress. I think. Yeah. Well, isn't the only thing she's really been in lately um, Thor Love and Thunder? Or maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sure she's been in other things, but that's the main stream thing that she's been in lately. Let's take a look here. Natalie Portman. Black Swan. Why is she remembered for Black Swan? Well, like, she's been in a lot of Movies that were cult classics, like Leon the Professional, V for Vendetta. She was in Star Wars, the prequel trilogy. 
Let's see here. I mean, she was in What If. She was in What If. She was in Thor, Love and Thunder. Lady in the Lake, a TV miniseries. Lucy in the Sky. Box Lux. The Lonely Island, Natalie's Rap 2.0. She was in that a couple years ago. I remember that one. I mean, in the last... She didn't do anything in 2020, but there was an obvious reason for that. Uh, right, right. But before 2020, it was Lucy in the Sky. Astronaut Lucy Cola returns to Earth after a transcendent experience during a mission to space. Oh, begins was to she lose in um, Annihilation? Is that her? No, you're thinking of Amy something? Oh, it's like Wasn't a supernatural her? thing. That has like a, a no, bubble. No, she was in Annihilation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's I was thinking of it. I remember something or other. Uh, that was 2018. That was quite. That was a while ago now. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about that. That was a pretty good movie. Mm. Mm. Well, I did start recording about seven minutes ago. I figured. So maybe we should. Maybe we should start with a little something oh hello everybody welcome to another edition of the seven day replay we are doing today the expanse season one episode four cqb cqb what do you think that stands for it stands for close quarters battle damn you Aha. it is close quarter battle uh obviously a very prominent feature in this episode uh let's start with something different Okay. Uh, we're going to start with unpopular opinion today as part of a little icebreaker. Uh, do you have an unpopular opinion that you'd like no, to share? No, all of my opinions are correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. I don't know, uh, but as soon as you started, we're going to find out. <laughs> Let's, uh, I'll, uh, start, I'll let you start, and then I'll, I'll do mine. Gotcha. Uh Final Fantasy VIII is the best Final Fantasy game. Shut up. Right now. Just shut up. Literally nothing you can say that will make me believe otherwise. I don't know. I've never played any of the Final Fantasy games. I really should have, to tell you the truth, because I really enjoyed, and I have no idea if this is in any relation, the Spirits Within movie that came out for Final Fantasy. Um, it, It does... So, like, the thing with Final Fantasy is there's no arching storyline across the games there so that's each game is its own thing until like uh final fantasy 10 and then they made like uh an offshoot spin-off or something you want to call it whatever mm-hmm. um and then uh from there they've made a couple of games like that uh they're now spin-offs um but like each each game is basically its own thing that have like threads that run through it. So like there's always a character named Sid, and there's always uh, either a Chocobo or a uh, Moogle or like some sort of like cute monster thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So it it it. I mean that there was no cute monster thing that I recall in that movie. <laughs> I'm ninety percent certain that the chocobos were in it. I don't know like what the giant, chocobo is. It's a giant yellow bird that they ride like a like a horse. Uh, it's entirely possible. The last time I watched it was probably more than five years ago. Oh yeah. As I recall, it was a story about how these ghosts were stealing the souls from humans. I'm thinking of the right yeah movie, right? it was like a post-apocalyptic world where there's these like spirits that roam the wild earth and uh like if you come into contact with them they like steal your life force yeah yeah as i remember that they were they were red or giant bright orange and uh, yeah. the souls they were stealing were blue Yes, yeah. it was a uh, it was a really good movie. I think that's actually the only the only movie, only video game movie, I should say, where the creator had direct contact with 
the creation process for the movie. Definitely within that time, for sure. No, like ever. Ever? Or at least for the last two... At least. Well, with... uh, don't forget Uncharted. Yeah, I was going to say at least within the last three or four years. Yeah. And then, uh, then uh, they then were I think making Uncharted. a Bioshock movie, but I don't know what happened with that. Oh God, I would love to see a Bioshock movie. I would, I would crush that so hard. Oh yeah, no, that'd be great. You know, I guarantee they'd make a lot of money if they made a Resident Evil Village uh, movie. Oh yeah, that would be really cool one to watch. Oh uh, yeah, sure. that's that's the reason where everyone everyone's watching it, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They probably already made a porn of it. I mean, that's Rule 34. Rule if 34. It exists, porn of it. <laughs> oh, God. Rule 34 has gotten us all in a lot of trouble recently. Recently? Well, I, with the... Did I miss something? I mean, I feel like the furry uh, movement has become more prominent in the last couple of years. Seems like their voice is actually out there now, and nobody seems to be arguing against them. Well, I mean, like, think about what we've watched as kids, <clears throat> like... Uh, Looney Tune Adventures, Space Jam. They've been sexualizing cartoons for like They've been anthrop- ever. Yeah, the anthropomorphic cartoon women. Yeah, it's disturbing. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, my unpopular opinion, and I can't really say it's a hugely unpopular opinion, but it's an unpopular opinion. Uh, the Dark Knight, not the greatest movie ever. In fact, up until recently, I had a very difficult time getting through it. I always, yeah, really. I always thought Batman Begins was the superior movie, and I'd even watch The Dark Knight Rises over The Dark Knight. It has nothing to do with like Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker, but I just couldn't get through it, the whole thing, straight start to finish. I feel like it's just like there are some sticking points which are kind of like hard to to get into. I just, I find it... There's so much going on in that movie. It, there's so much, just like... It It could, if it had been split up, it would have been probably um, better for me. However, having said that, now, yeah, it's a really good movie. No one's, I'm not denying that at all. It's a good movie. You heard him, everybody. He doesn't like it. You but I wouldn't... Forget him. I, I remember when it first came out, I was just like, I cannot get through this movie. And then for the longest time, I was like, I don't feel like watching this thing again. So I'd watch Batman Begins, and I'd skip over and watch The Dark Knight Rises. So Yeah, yeah I, I do feel like The Dark Knight Rises is better. Um, yeah, my, my problem with that one is that it has the same problem that Spider-Man 3 had, where it's just trying to do too much. I like there's just there's something there's going on. There's something off about it. And I think the reason is it was it was hard to believe that so much time had passed between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises cuz wasn't like 10 years supposed to have gone by in the universe in that movie. I'm not sure how much time was supposed to have like it was supposed to be a large chunk of time having gone by where, where Bruce had reached a point where his body just couldn't handle it anymore. So he was basically just like not into it. So he stopped and sort of retired because there was no reason to be Batman in a city that no longer needed him. That was just that was just something that took the reality of the of the movie away a little bit. Having said that, I don't think that it's a it's a bad concept. I actually would like to see that played out more, and it was going to be played out more a little bit in Ben Affleck's Batman, but they never really got there, and that was because Warner Brothers had no idea what to do with that property. He was just sort of like a fill in for them. That's what yeah, I'm I, I didn't hate his Batman in Justice League, but it he also didn't stand out. It was directionless. It was completely yeah. directionless. They yeah. had no idea what they wanted to do with him. They had so many infights between directors and creative artists and shit like that. They just were like, yeah, just get a fill-in. Ben Affleck, that'll do. And he, he crushed it. Personally, he crushed it. 
better than I thought he would. I thought he was going to be like cheesy and shitty. Yeah. But he was like. Well, after Daredevil, you know, how can he you was, not think that? I, yeah, everyone thought he was going to fuck it up. Like, he fucked up Daredevil, but that was just bad writing. Now we know it's just bad writing. Well, I think he, he grew as an actor, too, between that movie and then, you know. Oh, yeah, but, but I, I think we can all agree it's definitely bad writing. It was, yeah. wasn't oh, him sure. in that movie. Because even Colin Farrell, it, I, I think at that point in time, nobody knew how to play comic book characters. I think what makes these new movies um, so good, at least post-2008 comic book uh, movies, is -hmm. that they're not cartoonish anymore. Back then, it was, you have to play a comic book character cartoony. And Colin Farrell's portrayal of Bullseye was very cartoonish. Well, yeah, I think it was closer to, like, um, you know, the, the Adam West Batman type of thing rather than like a, a more exactly. realistic yeah, exactly. that's where yeah. I was going with it but Ben Affleck made it a realistic version of the Adam West Batman that is why I think his Batman will remain likable for years to come uh, but Robert Pattinson who man does that give me some Arkham um, uh, game vibes it does, yeah. It does feel like it's close to the to the game. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of that Arkham trilogy. The Arkham, uh, was it Arkham Asylum? Arkham Knight? Isn't there another one? I'm trying to think. Um, let's see. Arkham, Arkham Asylum, Arkham Knight. Arkham Origins. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of the Arkham. And, uh, Gotham games. Knights is supposed to be part of that universe, right? I think so. Maybe because that's on its way. Anyway, I I definitely have the Arkham uh, trilogy. I have the Arkham Asylum Game of the Year edition too. That one I play. I'd play over and over again. But that is Robert Pattinson. That's the vibe I'm getting from uh, the current Batman run, and yeah. I'm all for it. I think they got to hold on to him too because honestly, the same thing as like Spider Man. It's like you. They've rotated so much. You've seen the story so much. Like, they just gotta stick with what they got. Honestly, wouldn't mind seeing a crisis on infinite Earths played out in the silver screen uh, as opposed to on television. I loved the crisis on infinite Earths that was played out in the Arrowverse, but man, would I love to see it played out in uh, on on the you know, movie screen, wouldn't you? Right. I would. I think, um, I think that Crisis should be on Earth. Uh, there's like a current one going on now. I think we talked about a little bit. There's, uh, Flashpoint Beyond. Oh, Flashpoint Dark, Beyond is a good Dark one. Christ, there's Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths happening right now. Um, but I yeah. only read a little bit into that. I think, I, I think the ultimate goal for them should be to, play out their larger stories, like the ones that made them big hits. And I think Crisis on Infinite Earths would turn Warner Brothers around a little bit. Well, I feel like the uh, DC stuff feels reactionary. So they're not making stuff for it to be... Yeah, they have no long-term plan. They're just trying to keep up and doing a phenomenally horrifying job to keep up with Marvel and right. they really just need to find direction. They need to find a Kevin Feige. They need to have I mean, some yeah, they're the definitely the like kingdom. scrambling to, to keep up. Whereas Marvel's planned out like the next decade, 15 years, 20 years, God knows how long. I mean, currently what they've shown the people, they have it planned through 2026. However, I know for a fact, they probably have it planned out for at least two or three more years story-wise. So they probably have, or at least they have a direction where they want to go beyond the multiverse saga because the multiverse saga will end with uh, Avengers Secret Wars, which I'm going to be interesting. That one's going to be so excited. I'm going to be so excited because we know, because there's no way, there is no way 
they don't introduce Doctor Doom as a baddie um, for Fantastic Four, especially if they're going to do a Secret Wars. Oh yeah, uh, like, because he was a prominent character in the original Secret Wars from the eighties. Yeah, and we know that uh, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine is going to appear in the next Deadpool. So I don't think Wolf, was Wolverine in the Secret Wars. I don't think he was in that one. I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, maybe. maybe I'm thinking of um, the other one. Who else would you be thinking of? No, no, not the. It's just a different event that's similar. Ah, I just read the Secret like Wars. The, like the one with the uh, Beyonder. Ago. Secret Wars is the one with the Beyonder. Okay, well then I'm pretty sure he was in there. He might, he might have been. You might be right. It's like I said, it's been six plus months since I read that one. Doctor Doom Kang was a huge, prominent character. The Molecule Man was a prominent character. Galactus mm-hmm. was a huge part of that whole thing. So, like, I'm sitting here thinking maybe they're going to introduce Galactus at the end of the Multiverse Saga, and he's the big bad at the end. I mean, they could. They, they've they kind of classed up Galactus as a, like, anti-force versus the Celestials, and, you know, we're going to see more of them and yep. the Eternals, so. Yeah, we're going to see a hell of a lot more of the Celestials because, uh, because that's awesome. Oh, did you watch Werewolf by Night? I did. I oh, did. I enjoyed I did. that. That that added so much. I I don't know any of like what's I don't know anything about Werewolf by Night except what we've talked about uh with the Moon Knight. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know much about that character, the the Werewolf by Night. Um but uh Elsa Bloodstone is uh a member of Next Wave as a like it's a joke comic from during the Civil War era of uh, Marvel. That's just amazing. Yeah, it's so funny. Elsa Bloodstone. Mm-hmm. But She's so a, when a was this hunter. taking place? It se- it seemed like this was taking place during the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. At least that's the vibe I got. Would you would would you agree? I don't know. That like, was really hard to judge. I don't. I don't think it's that early. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. Um. So we'll she's. I mean, she's, she's got the bloodstone. That's a new, a new thing. I don't know anything about it. Do you? The bloodstone? No. Yeah. I don't know anything about the bloodstone. So history in the Hyborian Age, a meteorite landed on Earth in northern Vanaheim. Uh, it's, oh, it's called Exomind. However, uh, a local human hunter gather found it, fought. In the fight, the meteor was smashed and its fragments scattered. One of the fragments, called the Blood Gem, was embedded in the human's chest, and the explosion killed the human's tribe. The human vowed, uh, vowed revenge because of the gem in his chest. He became immortal and later became known as Ulysses Bloodstone. Oh, shit. Ulysses Bloodstone is from the Stone Age? Uh, 8250 BC, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So, so the bloodstone, yeah, time, yeah. So the bloodstone gem fragment was inherited by Ulysses' daughter Elsa, and a smaller portion was later given to his son Cullen, a human mutate that would eventually be known as Mahayoki. Also witnessed the blood gem shattering. Called it the Jewel of Jeopardy. When the jewel was crushed by the Hulk, it caused Mahayoki to age ten thousand years in an instant. Okay, That's so. So it seems like the bloodstone can give you longevity, but we don't know how much longevity so far. Right. Uh, I have to assume several hundred years. I based on the based on the, what 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 we were watching in the Wolf of uh, Werewolf by Night. It seems like Ulysses has been around for a couple hundred years, like he was two centuries or something like that. But I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find yeah. Out. Well, that was uh, pretty, and this is a spoiler, so fast forward like 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, I was pretty excited for the them showing off Man-Thing. Ah, yes. A really interesting like thing to add in at the end. Man-Thing, for sure. That was pretty cool. And it, his name's Ted. 
that was yeah. the better part. The Ted, man, the man thing, yeah. who is a, a scientist who, uh, you know, did the science bad, became man thing. The science bad. Uh-huh. Uh, More or less. Here it is, interesting. On Marvel.com, man thing, Dr. Theodore Salas. Ted, I get it. I get it now. But well, we can always cover this further in Comic Book Fridays when we talk about Judgment Day. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to break some of this up as bonus footage. Well, I don't know. Oh, yeah. But uh, let's get into uh, what we're talking about today, which is The Expanse. CQB. Uh, CQB. So far, I'm liking the, the, the titles that they come up with. They're very indicative of what we're about to go go through prominently. And that's not... That doesn't happen with every television show. Some of them Indeed. don't even like bother with what the hell's going on to tell you in the uh, title. Like, uh, Scrubs didn't always tell you exactly what was happening. They always just tried to make it seem, you know, appropriate. Whatever. It's neither here nor there. So what is happening in this episode? This episode takes a giant turn... Into action, when you say it, it, it absolutely does. You get about uh, ten minutes into the episode, and it's like action time, baby. Yeah, this one took a giant leap forward in terms of action, and it's, it's so realistic um, action too. Wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, they they definitely treat what's going on as if it's something that could happen now. Yeah. Um, they don't, it's like they don't, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. They don't take you out of the realm of possibility. Like some sci-fi science fiction does. Um, the close quarters battle referred to in this episode title definitely shifted the tone for the whole show. Uh, what that, so uh, let's, let's, let's do the, the recap from last week. Last week at the end of the episode, it was, um, Havelock had been stabbed, right? That's uh, what, yep. So uh, Havelock was, impaled in the wall. was impaled into the wall, uh, left for dead. We are assuming he is dead. Spoiler alert at the end. He is not dead. He actually gets found by somebody still alive or still clinging to life. The synopsis for this episode, uh, the Holden and crew are caught in the middle of a desperate battle as mysterious warships attack and board the Donager. Now, I heard the captain pronounce it the Donager several times. So yeah. that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. The Donager. Instead Not of Donger. the, the Don, Doniger, which is what I, how I was pronouncing it in the last episode. So the Donager... Um, was and ended up being boarded by some mysterious uh, warships. Miller is still pursuing Julie Mao, and he realizes that his partner Havelock has gone missing. And as far as Christian Absarala, there, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on from her this no. episode. It was like a two-minute scene, and then we were done with her, <laughs> pretty much. So yeah, it was just like a vignette. It was a, a framing piece, probably. The gravity on the, sh the show, I would like to say, is stellar. And I am using a pun there. Ha-ha! The, the way Face that, jokes. And so, the whole, so the whole show does really well with how gravity works. It started fantastically in the first episode where we saw Julie Mao and her hair. That's how... Um, if you've ever watched footage from the ISS, that's how mm -hmm. hair really acts in no in low gravity slash no gravity. And yeah, it's, well, it seems like they're really making an effort to present this as close to reality as they can. One hundred percent, and uh, I'm loving them for it. Um, also, the action in space is relatively well done in terms of how the physics should work. This episode was all action. 
pretty much from start to finish. They kept an eye on what was going on from the other two stories, but the main story for this one was definitely what was happening on Donager. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's definitely at least 40, 50% of the episode, if not more. Yeah. They, they, I mean, I knew it was going to happen eventually where they would split up stories into the main parts of, of the episodes. And um, I'm glad they went with the Donager on this one because I really wanted some action. I wanted some action, man. Yeah, it was definitely like, you know, about time. Yeah, I mean, we did get to see some action when the uh, Canterbury got blown up, but this was the the action I was hoping for. So let's uh, let's get to it. So uh, at the beginning, we see on Earth Christian Avasarala is trying to get the ship. Uh, sorry, trying to get a ship to the Donager to rescue Canterbury survivors that have been taken prisoner. Because she has absolutely no idea what is going on in the Donager. She seems to try, I guess from her perspective, uh, those people are probably being held captive and tortured. And they, she still believes that, at the very least, the Martian Navy has probably no reason to keep them alive except for the whole what was going on uh, with Holden, right? Right. Because she knows that the the stealth technology may have been stolen from their their place, but they have no. She has no idea whether or not somebody had stolen their technology or somebody else has that technology. Basically, all she knows is that Mars started searching for their stealth technology and inventorying it from the last time. So that's where we're at there. Um. She lays on top of her roof, uh, of her West, West, West Chester home, sorry, uh, with her grandson, okay. and gazed up at the stars, worried about the future of Earth, Mars, and the belt. Uh, possibly, perhaps, the entire solar system. And really, that's all that really happened with her. She was just sort of lamenting about what was happening. Um, I think, from her perspective, most, if not all, of the problems she's facing is that all of these problems are outside of her control. She seems like she needs to have control at all times. At least that's what we've gotten from her character. Yeah. So everything that's happening right now is completely out of her control, and she's just sort of morose about the whole situation. Then we get to see a little bit of what's going on at Tycho Station. Was it Ticho or Tycho? Uh, I would pronounce that Tycho. Tycho? So Tycho Station... Uh, there's a construction of a large, massive generation ship. Uh, I believe they called it the Nauvoo. Nauvoo? Yeah, there's a lot of vowels. <laughs> Nauvoo. The vessel uh, was commissioned by the Mormons to go on a hundred-year voyage outside of the solar system to the closest planet they can get to. Um, a new star system. It's really in interesting when you think about it. Everyone seems to think that solar systems in general are stationary, but if you look at how ours moves inside of the, the Milky Way, we're moving along with our star, and the only thing that's keeping us from not moving is the fact that our sun is dragging us along. So we're mm -hmm. in a constant state of motion. Not only are we spinning around an axis, we're spinning around the sun, which is then spinning us around this larger galactic cluster or black hole or whatever the hell is at the center of the Milky Way. I don't remember. There's Some... a black hole at the center of the Milky Way. Thank you. That's what I thought. That blows my mind every time I think about it. But when you think about mm -hmm. it that way, the, the Mormons want to jump from a moving vehicle and then travel a little bit to another moving vehicle. Blows my mind, man. Blows my mind. I mean, if you really start to think about the scale of uh, our lives versus, like, just the scale of the universe, it can be very overwhelming. Like, just considering the size of our own sun versus our planet is extreme. I love those YouTube um, channels that take comparisons of known objects in the universe and compare them to... A relatively known object like they take us versus the largest planet in our solar system Jupiter 
and we are just like trounced in comparison to Jupiter. And then they took yeah. Jupiter, and Jupiter is trounced by our own sun. Then they take our sun and compare it to another star in our local uh, galactic cluster. And it is trounced by that. And then they take the largest known star in the universe, and it's like goes on and on. Like, we're just so small. And that's when I realized that uh, arguing over politics means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it, that brings you everything back to uh, what, you know, what is reality? Uh, is it something that you touch? Is it something you experience? Ultimately, I think it comes down to just your perception. Your perception of the world is the only thing you have yeah. that really exists to you. Yeah. I think, um, well, speaking of that, interestingly enough, uh, you know what won the Nobel Prize recently? Uh, I don't. Quantum Entanglement. Ooh. Uh, recently won the Nobel Prize. Very interesting. Nice. But back to the expanse. Back to the expanse, man. Uh, we get introduced to another uh, character, Fred Johnson. Fred Johnson! Fred Johnson! Who's played by a character, a guy by the name of what the hell is his name? <laughs> hold on, hold on, I've I got it. I don't know, it. but I'm pretty sure he's in Fear of the Walking Dead. He's, no, he's in The Walking Dead. He might have been in Fear of the Walking Dead, but he was definitely in The Walking Dead. <laughs> Chad, You're asking me if Chad I know. Chad Coleman. I had it written down, I just couldn't find it. Uh, Chad Coleman. I love this guy. He's actually in the Orville, too. Oh. He plays Bordas's mate in the Orville, whom whose name escapes oh. me at the moment. Um, I, I don't know the name of the character, but... But yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. It, that's just crazy, right? I fucking love Bordas. <laughs> yeah, Bordas kills me. That whole show just tickles my funny bone in, in a way that's subtle and, yeah. and everlasting. Um... So anyway, we meet Fred Johnson. Uh, he's the head of operations overseeing the construction at Tycho Station of the Generation Ship. Um, the Mormon representative hints that Johnson should be replaced due to his known ties to the OPA. Um, though after delivering some not-so-subtle threats, Johnson manages to keep his position. Um, he basically like pulls out his dick and says, Hey, fire me if you want, but my dick's still bigger. Sucking. Well, he essentially says, <laughs> if you want the ship to actually survive the trip, uh, you know, maybe shut the fuck up. Yeah, he, he's like, so, anyway, so the Mormon guy's like, okay, whatever, we're just going to keep you because we're too far into the into the project to do anything about it. There was, like, one moment where I thought for sure he was going to take them back to wherever they were going and, like, destroy the ship. <laughs> it just I mean, seemed like it might have been going that way. Uh, yeah, there's a possibility, but I, I didn't take a whole lot of mind to this part of the episode, only because it just wasn't. It was so quick, and there was so much more going on in the later part of the episode. So, so they've introduced a new group into the whole thing. The Mormons are basically leaving, which personally. I'd like them to stop knocking on my door. So I can't say. Really? I don't think I've ever had one in this neighborhood. I've never had one in my, in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm just being facetious and subtle oh, just in general. Yeah. Just in general, I was making a joke uh, and you fucking ruined it. Well, you know, they, they combine their own fucking business. <laughs> he asked the Mormons to get off the ship. So his crew can continue with the calibration work. And Johnson gets on the radio and then demands an update on the Donager. So, I don't know. Did he, I, it doesn't seem like anyone? We don't know who was on the other end of that, right? Uh, he was only mentioned that he was had possible ties to the OPA. So we're assuming at some point that he is talking to someone from the OPA, who knows it what's seems going likely. on. Yeah, who seems at least knows what's happening. Yeah, who knows what's going on with the Donager. So we don't know at this point whether or not he's friend or foe in the grand scheme of things. All we know is that he's suspicious. Sus, if you will. He is a sussy baka. He is a sussy baka. Anyway, back on the Donager, 
Captain Yao, who in and of herself, I wish, survived this episode, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, Captain Yao. Spoilers! Think, yeah, I, we're going to get there. We're getting there. So Captain Yao thinks the mystery ship that's still fast approaching them is uh, coming for Naomi. Uh, for those who don't know, Naomi is the uh, suspected survivor of the Canterbury who is OPA. I think that <laughs> becomes suspect pretty quickly. Yeah. So I don't At this point, I still don't know who's playing mind games with who. Only that it seems like we still don't know a lot about any of the characters. I'm going to make a prediction. Yeah, go for it. I think that Christian has her hands in whatever is happening with all this and that she's just doing things that are very convenient for her. You're making like a, like she's doing some sort of, she's connected to the, to the, this group that's, you know, mysteriously has stealth tech and they're attacking the Donager. So you think that she is, why? Because she wants a war? I think. Maybe that's a, that's a pretty good twist. How far in advance have you watched? You've only watched up to like episode. The next episode. Okay, so I mean that's a that's a bold prediction, but based on what we know so far about her, I could say that's probably decent enough. I mean, like she she seems to have her her fingers in like everything and like able to to pull strings and manipulate people. So I feel like it's at least plausible. Plausible enough, yeah. But for this scene, I can't tell if they're still trying to play head games with... I mean, based on the rest of the episode, obviously they weren't. But it seemed like they were still trying to play head games with Holden to get him to recant so that they could continue on what they were doing. Her, So the captain and Lopez... Sorry, Captain Yao insists that Mars had nothing to do with destroying the Canterbury. And she keeps insisting that Holden recant his statement. And Holden keeps refusing. Basically, because you know, he thinks it it's the only like thing. It seems like she legitimately wants to prevent a war. Well, it seems like, how do you even do that? The only way to, like, think about it logically. The only way that everyone would believe that he is not doing it under duress is if he were to recant his statement and then be turned over to the UN. Right. Like, that's the only way that they can do that. So what they should be doing is contacting someone from the UN saying, you can come get your person, whatever. some Something like that. That's the only way that they can convince the rest of the system that they didn't actually attack the Canterbury. So as the approaching ship starts firing torpedoes, Blue battle lights. I thought this was weird, right? Mm-hmm. Blue battle lights. That's just weird. That's so to me, weird. It seems like it ties into like what they do later. Um, so it seems like it's a power, like a power draw reduction. Because right, that's a limited resource, so they can't have all these systems running if they're going to be powering up these offensive capabilities. That is an excellent point. I didn't even think about that. I would have. I just thought it was very interesting that they went with blue, as opposed to red. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, Alex. I'm hearing the like reasoning behind choosing blue. That uh, just to be different, you know, had to be different. There's got to be a reason. It's probably because it's a yeah, soft. Yeah, I just like it. It's a like softer blue. color. Red is pretty hardcore on your eyes. True. Uh, I would say blue is a softer color. Although... Although when it's the only thing you can see, I would say it's not as harsh um, because like in a dark room, you often have red lights uh, so you can see and that won't uh, ruin the film. Yeah. Well, it's, I would say it's harsher on, on a person's eyes as opposed to something like that. I'm so sorry there, Todd. But you were trying to go for my pizza, and I'm not going to let you do that. No, Todd, don't. Um. So anyway, I think Alex is his name, the pilot guy, who's a uh, uh, yes. former MCRN Navy. Uh, he knows what the blue battle lights are. 
And he's like, time to strap in because it's going to get bumpy in here and shit like that. So they start doing that. The Donager obviously gets quickly overwhelmed um, because they start firing torpedoes. And most yeah, of the they tor- have the one ship that's coming towards them, and then it breaks off into several smaller ships. Yeah, this reminds me of Star Trek Beyond. Did you see that movie? Yes, a long so, time ago. In that one, they had a like a hive of ships, where all of these smaller ships were in motion and in uh, constant contact with each other to keep themselves from running into each other. So it felt like that, where they split apart into a giant hive and then started attacking them from smaller places. So it was much more difficult to hit them with torpedoes. And then they got in close quarter battle with them, which is where that obviously comes into play from the title. And they, I guess they were planning on boarding them from the very beginning. And they were pretty successful, because I don't know how many of their ships they actually ended up losing. Probably very few. I think they got at least two of them. Yeah, I imagine they managed to hit them a couple of times before they completely broke apart with some torpedoes. And then the rail guns did some damage, I imagine. Yeah, but oh man, the the concept of the rail gun, uh, like you you think about it, uh, so like a rail gun is essentially a metal projectile. moved in super speed with electromagnets, so uh, an alternating magnetic current. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's moving super fast, and even more so in space, because there's nothing to uh, There are very few in. outside forces to reduce its speed. Yeah, they're working against that speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so The only thing would be gravity. Or right. whatever's and in it, its way. And depending on where there is, where that is, like that's going to be very minimal. And if they don't have good yeah, enough plating, yeah, I mean, I in, can't imagine a type of plating that would be good enough. If they're in open space, it's not going to matter too much. They're yeah, gonna, it's not going to be gravity. There's nothing gravity they can do about it. Yeah, the Donager's main drive ends up going out, uh, which causes the interior of the ship to temporarily lose gravity. Uh, this freaks out the pilot. Alex, uh, whom Shed tries to help by offering some of his cinnamon sticks. Well, uh, are those drugs? What, what were the cinnamon sticks? I don't remember those. Uh, it was clearly meant to be some sort of drug. Yeah, it looked like a joint to me. <laughs> it did look. Like, it did. Not, look like a joint. I know what that looks I, like. I as assume a it outstanding was outstanding citizen. Um, unfortunately for Shed, his final act of kindness ends up being the last because he's quickly decapitated by gunfire that punched through the hole of the ship uh, and went right through him. Yeah, uh, you hear like a, a ping, and then like everybody he, turns he's not toward him. anymore. Yeah, everyone turns toward him and it's like, oh shit. Which I yeah, think freaks just, Alex just, out a little bit more than... Just no head there. That's yeah. it. Once again, gravity. Well done. Yeah. Uh, because his blood just keeps getting ripped out, sucked into space. That was freaky. That was awesome. Disappointing, though. As the main drive kicks back uh, in, the survivors are disturbed by the sight of Shed's blood uh, splashing upon his headless corpse, and by the fact that they only have a few more hours of air left as they realize they're quickly running out of air. Um, Alex ends up having to take a sedative so that they can reduce. I think that happens after they close up the hole with some yes. extra paneling. So they have like an emergency um, sealant thing. Sealant supply thing where they are able to re repressurize the, the cabin they're in. Yeah. And what um, ends up happening was they realize that the only way to reduce the oxygen and the fact that they do have a sedative available is to knock someone out, to slow down their breathing and basically get it under control. So Alex is the one who sort of takes the which freaks him the hell out. I'm really surprised that he so readily agreed to that. As obviously Naomi, honestly, Naomi should have been the one. Although when you think about it, I'll bet you... What was their reasoning behind it? They said uh, that they said that um, Earthers, or Alex made the argument that Earthers are the ones who breathe heavy. So they should put host out. 
And then Host said, well, I can carry you, but you can't carry me. And then why don't we put Naomi out, but Naomi's, we need her in case to figure out a plan, whatever. I think that was the reasoning behind the whole thing. Something like that. And it was just a whole bunch of back and forth, and they're like, okay, well, this guy can carry him. <clears throat> yeah, Amos to... is his name. <laughs> Hold on. <coughs> <laughs> don't go dying on me. Oh, my throat just got so dry. I'm so dry. I'm so dry. Um. So anyway, the Donager has been okay. bested by this mystery vessel uh, in CQB. Uh, Holden recognizes the ship as similar to the one that destroyed the cant and theorizes that whoever is attacking them is attempting to frame Mars for everything. Um, so essentially what's happening is this ship is coming back to destroy the only evidence because they assumed that the people on the night would never survive. But then the Donager came back. That's quite a contingency, though. Yeah, they should have blasted them out of the air. That would have been a smart thing to do. But then yeah. we wouldn't have a story. True. Plot armor. The Donager ends up preparing to be boarded by the attackers. They get in these awesome space marine suits. Uh, like the Martian Navy. Just, those yep. suits are dope. They are super cool. They they feel a, like a mix between... There is a group of warriors in Stargate called the Krull. Who are basically ghouls that have been put into synthetic bodies to control them. Um, and they're like unstoppable warriors, but they're covered in black armor and like Master Chief armor. That's what I'm getting from them. The vibe. I mean, to me, it looks almost exactly like the uh, N7 armor in uh, Mass Effect. Oh, that's a good point too. Also a good one. Not where my brain went first though. Um, Captain Yao orders Lopez, the guy who was reading their minds earlier, to get Holden off the ship so he can testify in front of the Martian Congress to the events of what is occurring. En route to their escape shuttle, Holden and his Martian escorts are attacked. Mystery soldiers. Who are also armed with really cool armor, but what seem that armor seems really futuristic compared to what they have. Like, theirs seems like realistic armor, but what the the mystery people have is, like, something completely different. Well, it's clear that uh, whoever these people are have an intense technological advance. They like have... Edge. Yeah. If we had to put it in terms of current and past, I would say these the people um, on the Donager are fighting with World War II technology against someone or against an enemy with current technology advancements. That puts them a whole generation ahead or two generations ahead of where they are. That's at least the vibe I'm getting. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking between World War II and Cold War kind of technology is where the people in the expanse are at and the technology that they're facing off against is like a whole generation ahead, which is cool. Several members of the escort team were killed. They happened to wound one of the mystery soldiers, uh, but the mystery soldier ends up dying before uh, Lopez gets the chance to talk to him. Uh, Lopez suspects these attackers are responsible for what happened also at Phoebe station. This would be the first time that they've mentioned Phoebe Station, correct? Uh, I think so, yeah. I don't recall them mentioning it beforehand. So after Holden inquires, Lopez... Uh, like Holden doesn't really give him a choice in this case. He says, tell me what happened on Phoebe Station, because honestly, I might die in the next ten minutes. So what are you protecting? So Lopez explains the Donager was dispatched to Phoebe Station because it went silent for several weeks, where they found everyone on board had been incinerated, all computer cores destroyed. It appeared someone had covered something up, but who and what is still unknown. Crazy. So whoever this whoever this enemy is, it's like it's like they're dangling puzzle pieces to who this enemy is, and 
I don't know if it's a new group that they're going to introduce later, or if it's a group we've already ran into. Right. It's com- it, it, it's just enough it, that it's not frustrating, but it's it's enough or more than enough to keep my interest like like dedicated to what's going on in the show. Masterful writing, masterful writing, and I don't sure. say that a lot for sci-fi stuff, but this was masterful. Uh, Lopez and Holden end up rescuing Naomi. Amos and Alex, um, with Lopez demanding that they all testify to Mars, um, had nothing, and that Mars had nothing to do with Canterbury's destruction. I have some questions. This is the only thing that sort of killed me on the reality of the situation of what was going on. Yeah. Was when they were heading towards the bridge to get to the only ship on board that they could escape from. Uh, I guess you could argue that these, these, Mystery people were getting to the ship, but didn't get there first. But at the same time, there were hundreds of them around, so I feel like some of them should have been on that bridge, like sitting there waiting. Instead of waiting, I don't know, 100, 200 yards away on other, um, fuck what they're called, on other places, basically far away from where the bridge is to get to the ship. Did this not take away from the reality from you? Or is it just me being a little pain in the ass? Yeah, I mean, it definitely made me... That tactic didn't make any sense. Just because, like, if you're going to design something like that, you're going to want as many ways to get to safety and emergency as possible. Not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying that the mysterious attackers mm-hmm. were waiting in the wings instead of on that only bridge to get to the ship. That made no sense to me. It sort of took uh, the reality. That tactic didn't make any sense. Seems like yes. it seems like they made that was their only mistake in the whole thing, and uh, it kind of annoyed me a little bit. However, it didn't take me. Just makes me think about like what's the. What's the real intent behind the attack? Yeah. I mean, I think it was to destroy the Donager, but we don't know. We'll find yeah. out. So they, they run through the hangar bay. They manage to make it aboard the ship Tachi um, before Captain Yao scuttles the Donager. Uh, another example of real good physics was uh, Holden using Newtonian laws to get himself back to the bridge. I was wondering what the hell he was doing, and then I was like, oh, he's trying to create momentum for himself so that he can magnetize his boots back to the bridge. That was pretty cool. I liked that. I enjoyed that. That that sort of brought me back. Um, So the mighty Martian warship ends up self-destructing just as the Tachi blasts off uh, with a groggy Alex at the wheel. Uh, meanwhile, at Sarah's station, it feels like this was, like, the majority of the episode, and then we go back to Miller, and it's like, oh, oh, God, you got me all hot and bothered. You got me all hot and bothered, and now you're, like, bringing me down with Miller. Right? That's what I felt. Yeah. Yeah. However, it does turn turn up the heat in a second. So Miller has identified the corpse of Julie Mao's hot date, Night Belter 31. As uh, Bitsy Batiko, uh, Miller visits Bitsy's apartment building, where he finds the Slingshot Club. Um, the Slingshot Club, for those who are unaware, I looked this up on the Expanse Wiki fandom, is uh, protect practitioners of an illegal s- extreme sport in which a homemade one-person craft slingshots around gravity wells of planets and other celestial bodies. I, I don't, I don't get it. It's it's just basically it's NASCAR, but yeah. around planets. Oh, he's making another turn. Oh, there he goes on another turn. Oh shit, he's turning again. So, um, but interestingly enough, he keeps asking where Bitsy is, and then he reveals that Bitsy's dead in the morgue, and then they're like, "No, he's not. He's the one flying the goddamn one-man craft in the slingshot." And then he turns to the screen and finds out, yeah, that's Bitsy Batiko. So Miller is super surprised to find out that the soon-to-be-doomed slingshotter, whose progress is currently being monitored on the screen, 
has been identified as Bitsy Batiko. So who the hell's that stiff in the morgue? You may ask. We have no idea. So he goes back to the morgue, and they keep continually scanning the body, and they end up coming up with different IDs. So Octavia says that the, he must have an ID spoofer mod. This reminds me of so many things. You watch Rick and Morty, right? Uh, yeah. So have you ever seen that, that one episode where uh, he goes to the amusement park with Jerry where you can't be killed? Yes. Remember the scan they did of his body and he had all those cybernetic implants? Yes. Kind of reminded me of that. It also reminded me of Repo Men, which was another good movie that everyone <laughs> should watch. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Have you ever played uh, Deus Ex? No, I've never played Deus Ex. Uh, Deus Ex is a really cool game uh, that deals a l- very heavily with um, like human augmentation, primarily with cybernetics. Uh, there are like newer games that are out there. Uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution is like one of the more current ones. Yeah. I definitely recommend playing them. Uh, they're good games. Uh, the boss battles are kind of bullshit, but I think they balance those out. Um, of course, after I played the game. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, but, you can always uh, replay it. You can, you can. I just haven't gotten around to, to going back into it. Uh, it's, it's It deals a lot with, you know, it, is it only important to replace things that have been lost, or should we be in, actively improving uh, the human condition, gotcha. the human body? So the Deus Ex Collection is available for $62. The Deus Ex Human Revolution, available on Steam for 20 bucks. Yeah, it's not bad. And they, they do go pretty deeply on sale um, during like uh, the Steam sales. Steam's got real, always got real good sales. Oh, yeah. Um, so they uh, investigate this, this uh, stiff a little further, and they find he's got a whole bunch of implants, including a memory crypt, um, which mm-hmm. Miller ends up just ripping into the student's cap. name, like a memory crypt. I love that. That's a good name. It feels like a Johnny Mnemonic, right? Yes. Ah, exactly, yes. yes. That's a good movie. Everyone should watch because it's so ridiculous. It's still good, though. It's so good. It is. Um, it's really interesting. Octa- they're the ones who invented the CAPTCHA, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so Octavia scans the device, finds government documents, claiming the stiff was a data broker. So a data broker is obviously a thing uh, where people obviously steal data and smuggle it to others. But what data was he brokering? We don't know. Um, that left just enough of a good taste in my mouth to like, oh my god, I've got to watch the next episode. But I held off until our next uh, our next encounter. Uh, we leave the morgue, and Miller once again tries to contact Havelock, who is still missing after the rioting. Um, however, uh, we thought Havelock was dead, but the brothel madam finds him severely wounded in the alley, but still very much alive, even after being impaled through the chest with a spike. I don't know if I'd say very much alive. Well, I mean, very much alive in the sense that he's still fucking alive. Yes. Uh, but yeah, this was something else. And I, I, and that's pretty much where we ended the, the episode, as I recall. Thoughts? Comments? Concerns? Uh, I just, I gotta say, uh, I would really like to see more about that shadow group. I uh, really want to know who the hell they are. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, it's probably going to end up being the Mormons. (laughs) 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 They're like, oh, we spent too much money on this generational ship and we don't really have enough technology. So we're going to, we're going to like bomb everything before we leave. Uh, later. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's the the equivalent of that kid that like uh it's like it's my ball, I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. 
Well, I I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to the rest of this show. And we've got so much of it left. Yeah. Uh, I hope you will continue to join us on those. We hope you join us again. Uh, check us for our fan conspiracy theories. I'm not really sure what we're going to do next, but it's going to be good. And I'm going to find a good one. And then join us again for the next episode of the Seven Day Replay. We wish you seven days to rock and stone, Guardians. Rock and stone. Later. Bye-bye.